0: We're going into this message titled Serving in Jesus, and what a great opportunity to have Tom and Amy come and share their testimony of service as we get into this just incredibly important message for us. Uh, I've got a question. How many of you um, would say that you have a call to ministry? Uh, Raise your hand. How many would say you have a call to ministry? All right, can you guess where this is going? (laughs) By the end of this message, we'll ask that question again, and I hope that all of us can raise our hands and say that we understand that that in this text, Paul is calling all of us to ministry, that all of us are called to be here with Christ, that if you're still here, you're called to do ministry. If that wasn't the case, then literally altar calls would be like the most amazing thing. Like, you would come forward, like, you would kneel down, you would pray, you're giving life for Christ, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm not sure exactly how he would do it. It would be like a poof, or like, this roof would open, the clouds would suck you up, but like, think about it. If your entire purpose of being a Christian was to get saved, then the second that that happened, God would be like, okay, your purpose is done, now you can come back. Know that that's not what God's done, and that's the challenge to us today is that if we're still here, that God has a purpose for us and a call for us to be engaged in the ministry and mission that he has set before us. Uh, I think I might quote Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon twice today. The first one, he says um, that uh, to a class of ministry students, if God has called you to be a servant, don't stoop to be a king. That God has given us a great call on our lives to be a servant. And the text that we're going to look at is going to really help us understand that in a deep way. So, So thank you, Amy, for doing a great job just bringing that text in context for us. And now let's look at verse 23 in Colossians chapter 1. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, if you've got a New Living Translation, if you've got an NIV translation, they actually put in the word servant there. I read from the New King James Version, the King James Version as well. It uses the word Minister. And I love the idea that in scripture the word servant and minister go hand in hand that they're almost interchangeable. But when you hear the word minister from most people, um, you know what they picture is maybe a special collar, maybe a special robe, um, you know, maybe gray hair, whatever it is. You've got this understanding of what a minister is supposed to be. Um, I do have my stole. It's, it's in that room right there that I got for graduation. And I will wear it with the Lutheran Church because that's um, what they request. And so this whole idea of what is a minister is really what Paul will challenge us in this text. If you really dig into the word itself, the word itself really was more of a servant. The reason why we translate it to minister is the context. But the actual word itself would be like similar to a busboy. Like it's not the word that we see in scripture for slave, um, but it is a word for a person that was in a subservient position To take care of another person's needs. That that's what the word itself actually means. Now I want you to understand that when Paul was sharing this message, he was writing to an audience that was Roman, Greek, Orthodox Jews, and then you've got this like cultist, Gnostic gospel coming in. And when he writes this word, this specific word in the Greek, and they read it, he says, I, Paul, became a busboy. I became a servant. I became a minister of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. When they read that word, they'd be like, what is he talking about? You know, what is it that he's trying to explain here? In fact, as we see in the response to this, is they were not very pleased with what it was, the message that he was preaching. Now, they were very, um, again, this is part of why he was arrested. So he's writing this entire letter from prison. And we see that the truth is that in our culture, this message of of Jesus Christ, this message of grace and forgiveness, this message of following God's ways uh, is not one that our culture typically looks at kindly. And so we can kind of relate to this passage as we're here in these few verses that we're going to study today. Now, why did Paul need to explain, as we go into this text, he kind of gives his explanation of who he is, and why he has the ability to share this message. And don't forget, he's writing this from prison. So he's kind of like laying this out there, like, guys, I know I'm in prison. I know they say I'm a troublemaker. I know they say that I've, like, caused all these issues. And you probably hear from the church leaders that I'm what I'm preaching is heresy. What I'm preaching um, is why I deserve to be stoned and not in a recreational way, why he deserved to have Rocks thrown at him um, until he no longer breathes. You know, like that's why they're digging into this. And so just imagine if you get a letter from a guy who's in prison, would you be like, hey, this, hey, kid, sit down. We had a guy from prison and he's been convicted of treason. He's been convicted of heresy. And I want you to stop and listen to what he has to say because we're going to follow his teachings. Like if I did that at the kitchen table, my wife would probably protest. And that's the context of actually this letter. And it's just kind of fun to get our minds wrapped around that a little bit. And so as he goes into that, um, he digs into this and he shares with them, here's why I am a minister. Here's why I am a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. That serving involves suffering. Serving involves suffering. Suffering. I know you probably didn't come to church to hear that. That's not like, hey, I need to come this week and get, there'll be a good moment. We'll, we'll share with you the uplifting goodness of Jesus Christ. But we're going to start in the hard stuff. That serving involves suffering. And we'll see this in verse 24. Twice it uses the same word for sufferings. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions, which actually could be translated in some texts as sufferings of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Now the way it's worded sounds a little weird, but basically Paul is saying, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with the fact that I am going to have to suffer. I am going to suffer because I am a follower of Christ. You know, he basically shares following with Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's not a you give your life to Jesus and you live happily ever after moment. He's sharing this truth. And if you don't know, eventually Paul at the age of 58, um, his head is taken off of his body. He is beheaded because of his beliefs and his following of Jesus Christ. But Jesus made us a promise. He said to us that in this world that you will suffer and have tribulations and that you will have trials. Jesus said, come and follow me. I love the first season of The Chosen. If you've seen it, it follows this story so clearly. This whole question of, are you willing to give up everything to come and follow Jesus? And I wonder how many of you like underline these verses in the scriptures. The verses that say, I promise you that you will have suffering and tribulation. Like These are not the verses that we put onto our walls or get tattooed onto our bodies. But we see these truths in scripture So Paul, when he was first saved, he was walking on the road, the Damascus Road. So he's going out to the town, and he has another disciple called Ananias who goes to talk to him. And when the Lord first tells Ananias to go talk to Paul, he's like, nope. You mean you want me to go talk to the guy who's like throwing Christians in jail, and the Romans are doing what they want with him? You want me to go tell that person about the good news of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. And God's like, Yes, I do. And he's like, No, I don't want to do that. And in Acts 9, but the Lord said to him, Go for he, Paul or Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how many thing, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he makes it so much better. He's like, no, 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 it's okay, I want you to go. And imagine if a guy comes up to you and goes, hey, I've got a new job for you, and I just want you to know how many things you're gonna have to suffer to take this job. Not a lot of people would be like, sign me up, sign me up. Now, fortunately, we have people who do. Um, We've got people who are serving in our military present prior who did just that, who they were willing to go and do something that they knew would involve suffering in order to protect others. And we praise God for you. But also we see this same calling as the calling that God puts on each and every one of us. Are you willing to come and serve in my namesake? Uh, I love Second Corinthians chapter 11 where like, this is like Paul trying to like, give his, like, hey, you guys all talk about suffering. I just want you guys to know um, y'all stop complaining because here's what I've been through. And imagine just like, you know, hearing this from Paul. He goes, I, now, I know I sound like a madman. But I have served him, Jesus, far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped more times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes because 40 was considered uh, too many that it would kill a person. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead, Three times I was shipwrecked. "'Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. "'I have traveled on many long journeys. "'I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. "'I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, "'as well as from the Gentiles. "'I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts "'and on the seas, and I have faced danger "'from men who claim to be believers but are not. "'I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights.' I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then I love this last part, and I can relate to this one. Um, Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for the church. And then I have to deal with the church people at the end is how he ends. He's like, after all of this, you think that's bad? And then they come and tell me they don't like the style of worship we did on Sunday. And like, I got to deal with all that stuff. And you know, uh, this is just kind of a, uh, it's an incredibly humbling passage, but it's just one of those things where like, I, I share that to come back to Colossians in context and understand the resume of the person who is sharing this deep truth with us. You know, welcome to the ministry. Paul understood that serving involves suffering. But, and when you suffer, just make sure, he says, that you're suffering for the right reasons. God doesn't want you just to suffer. That's not what God wants for you. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And I'm so glad that the verse doesn't end right there. He doesn't say just blessed are the persecuted. No, he says this. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted, Jesus says, for my sake. Blessed are those that are persecuted because you're choosing to follow Jesus. He didn't say, you know, blessed are those Christians who go out there and are obnoxious and, like, just want to just yell at people that they're sinners and and yell at people that they're wrong. I guarantee you today at the Super Bowl, someone will be doing that. I mean, I haven't been to a sporting event in a long time that I don't see someone doing that. And part of what I do is... I try and distract them and take their time up. I'll go up to the guy with a megaphone and just talk to him. Because if I'm talking to him, he's not yelling this crazy stuff that's turning people away from Jesus. And so I'll engage them and have conversations with them. But make sure that when you are persecuted, that we're persecuted by being respectful, loving, and filled with grace for the people desire to know this Jesus that we know. But I like what one person said. I don't know exactly who said this. Um, God is looking for sharpshooters, not machine gunners. Don't make a mess, make a mark. You know, be focused on how we share Jesus with people, that we don't just go out there and just blast it, but we be relational with how we share Jesus. Jesus said that we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves with how we share this good news. And, And going back to verse 24 again, and I want you to see this with a little bit of a different context. I now rejoice in my sufferings. Do you understand how deep that is? We just heard it. I now rejoice in my sufferings and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, what he's doing here, last week we talked about reconciliation, having atonement with Christ, having your relationship with God made right, going from an enemy of God to a friend of God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And what he's focused on here is he's saying that we can't add to the work of Jesus, that it's a finished work. Jesus said it is finished, that it was finished, it was done, that we can't add to that sacrifice because there was no lack in the sacrifice of Christ. He was complete and he finished it. But the word for sufferings he's using here is not the same word for the word that is used when Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. It's a different understanding here. It's always used when humans are facing the pressures of life. And so Jesus is understanding with you and so is Paul. That we, fa- we follow and face pressures in our daily life. We are here, and so here's kind of what this is speaking to. When it says the body of Christ, is that at first the hate and anger went on Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the head of the church. Now guess who's taking the body blows as the enemy continues to come against the good news of Jesus. It came upon Paul. It came upon His body, he absorbed when Jesus was not there, they were aiming for the head, they failed, they thought they won, they lost, and now their anger is on the body. And guess what? Paul is not here anymore, but who is? We are the body of Christ. And so we can understand this suffering of the body that he's referring to is that a recognition that he is with us in our suffering, that that's what we feel. The head feels every single blow. Jesus got this when he told Paul. He went out to Paul when he first met him on the road and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And think about that. Why did Jesus say to Paul, who was attacking and jailing Christians, why are you persecuting me? I want you to soak this truth in right now. The reason why Jesus asked Saul, who became Paul, Why are you persecuting me by attacking Christians reminds us that every single day when you go through suffering and tribulations, I want you to know that Jesus feels it with you. He felt the attacks on the church. He had felt the attacks on his people. So where it says in the passage, we are in these sufferings with Christ as Christ, as Christ's body, that we are a part of this with him, he feels each and every part. That Paul is helping us understand that he is a part of our affliction. And what I love is that Paul just, you know, shares this throughout his entire journey. Acts chapter 5. It says that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. Again, that rejoice there. The council of church leaders came upon Paul and all of his people, and they walked away rejoicing. Think about how different that can make your life. When you go through times of tribulation, instead of being like, God, why do you make me go through this? God, and complaining. If all of a sudden we say, God, we rejoice that I can be counted as those who are willing to sacrifice as you have sacrificed. There's so many great books that I actually enjoy to follow. I'm careful to say that term um dc talk had a couple volumes of jesus freaks just sharing stories of christians every month i get the magazine from from voice of the martyrs and i read it with my family so every month we're hearing the stories that our body is being attacked every single day we see it more and more in our country but it's physically happening all around the world And, and just this last month we listened to a story of a man who went from being a muslim iman to being a follower of jesus And it was his nephew who beat him so badly he couldn't walk right ever again because of it. And as soon as he got back on his feet, he kept on telling people about Jesus, that we are part of that affliction, that we're sharing with that as a body of Christ. So Paul understood deeply that serving involves suffering. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Serving brings stewardship. That serving brings stewardship. And look at verse 25. He uses this term, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which I was given to me to fulfill the word of God. So he became a servant leader. He became a servant minister according to the stewardship from God. Now a steward is very similar, it's a little bit different, but it's somebody who took care of somebody else's property. So it's not a busboy, but the steward was given control of someone else's farm, and they would be responsible for caring for that farm as if it was their own. And so that's what he's referring to. You know, Jesus gave the parable by saying that there was a certain rich man who had a steward and was in charge of his entire estate. We see that through Joseph in the Old Testament, this idea of being a steward. Paul is saying that we have been commissioned by God for a task. This is the responsibility that he has given us all of us who are followers of Jesus, he has called you to the task. He's given us the responsibility of continuing to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must faithfully step into the duty in which he's given us. That serving Jesus is not optional. I want you to know this. Serving Jesus is not optional. Serving at Rock Harbor is. That's something that you can choose. You can choose to serve at your church. You can choose to serve in an organization. Serving at our church is optional. In fact, we really try to push into that. That We don't want people to ever feel like they need to serve because of guilt. If you feel like God is calling you to be a part of this ministry, grab that connection card by all means. We would love to empower you into that purpose. That's a big part of why we exist as a church is to help you find your place that you can get connected and be in the game. It's so much more fun. Cam, tell me if this is true. More fun to watch a game or play a game. Play every single time. More fun to play. And that's what church can be. You can play instead of just observing. It's so much more fun. But we still want you to know, we understand, we always say, we create opportunities, not obligations, Some fun thing I like to do with people is people will come up to me like, oh, hey, pastor, I'm so sorry I couldn't be at, you know, this event or that event. And I'll actually stop them and say, hey, just try and say this differently. Just say the words, hey, I wish I could have been there. And it's amazing what I can do to your demeanor, just not feeling guilty for not being a part of something. But we want you to, and we want to create those opportunities. Regardless, something that you need to look at your life is how are you serving Jesus Christ? That is not optional, and I'm not going to attach it to our church, but serving Jesus Christ in and of itself is the calling that God has brought us it's absolutely not optional, and so we have this opportunity that this goal of sharing Jesus with other people I shared this in the beginning. you know the fact that we 're still here, the reason you 're not in heaven today is because God has a purpose for you. And that purpose for you is to share Jesus and and, and love him and serve him. That's the purpose that he has for us. And I love that truth. So you were born at a certain time, at a certain place, to certain parents for a certain purpose. And I just love just seeing the orchestration of how God works. The fact that we're all in this room together right now doesn't make sense except for one reason. We all love Jesus Christ. That's why we're here together and we also love the church because as much as we can do individually we recognize that together we can do so much more. Together as the body of Christ we can make such a bigger impact than any one person could individually. Ephesians 2 it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has ordained for ordained That we should also walk in them, and Tom shared this as he was walking off the stage, and I love just the testimony that you continue to share, is that the reason why we do good works is not to earn his love, but because we love him, we want to continue to serve him. And when our heart goes into that area of opportunity, not obligation, it changes the relationship. And it allows you to call out to him with those words, Abba, Father. And realize he is not a distant God that is against you, but he is a father that loves you. And we can pray and call Jesus Daddy in our relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians 4, um, it uses the same word on steward. It said, It is required in stewards that one be found and faithful. So if you're trying to understand, well, how do I do this, Kevin? How do I do this? Um, how many of you have ever been to uh, see uh, Old Faithful? I've, I've, I've not been there. I see some, a lot of hands going up. If you ever go see Old Faithful, it's a geyser. And I, I don't have a picture, but um, you've probably seen it, I assume, at some point. You know, it's not the biggest geyser at the park. It's not the most powerful. Other ones go higher. There's other ones that are wider. There's others that are bigger. But Old Faithful is seen by over 5 million people every single year. Do you know why? It's faithful. You can set your clock on it. You can know that between 50 and 70 minutes, you're going to go with your family, and they're going to have a little clock and say, it's been this long since the last time Old Faithful went off. And guess what? It's going to go off again. That's the truth that I have for you. If you'd be like, you know what? I'm not fast enough. I don't know. You don't have to be fast to serve Jesus. I'm not... A good enough speaker I don't know enough I don't have this or that to go and be a part of the church or be a part of God's ministry the only requirement that God has for you is not that you're the best or the smartest or the brightest but that you are faithful and when you are faithful God will use your faithfulness to change lives to change your community and maybe even to change your family and that's what God's calling you to as a church we want to help you discover your gift And we love the fact that God has gifted us all differently. It says in Scripture, we're all given different gifts. Prophecy, serving, exhortation, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. Teaching, which can be different. Getting in a small group and sharing and teaching through the word. Giving, leadership, mercy, prayer, and speaking in tongues, that we can pray in a way for healing. No gift is be elevated above another. But all the gifts can be used by God For his glory. You and I are called to build up others in the church and to reach out to the world around you. Want to know your purpose in life? We prayed every week. That you were made on purpose and for a purpose. Once you've given your life to Christ, once you've achieved that first step, beyond that, build up others in the church and reach out to those that don't know Jesus. That's your purpose. That's your calling. Don't make it more difficult because it's always what? It's always only Jesus. That's all it is. That's all it is. The next thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Serving brings surprises. Serving brings surprises. And I actually love this. I I love this. And and you probably have heard my story. Serving has brought me from Ohio to California to Florida. And I never expected it to. They did try to get me to do a church plant in Michigan. True story. And I said, people in Michigan don't need Jesus. They're fine. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm actually really thankful that we said no to that church plant. That would have been great. It would have been out of Grand Rapids, and they were going to have me on two large church staffs, and we were going to church plant in Grand Haven. I'm very thankful I got to be a lead pastor at a church before being a church planter. And so I'm very very thankful that God was smarter than us in in that circumstance. It was very uh, tempting to say yes, but God had a plan for all of this. You see, I love the surprises that God has when you follow him. You never know what your day is going to bring into you. You never know when that one person is going to come across your path. And you're going to hear God say, stop and talk with that person. Stop and love with that person. Stop and pray with this person. And it's amazing to see just what God can bring into your life on a daily basis. And that's verse 24. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And so he he brings this circumstance. And then he continues and says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, saints to them. God will make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope and the glory. And I want you to understand what that means. When he's using that word mystery there, uh, the Greek word that he's using there, um, it's not to mean something creepy. It's not to be like a mystery film. He's actually using the term that means something that was concealed from the past is now wide open and being revealed in the present. So you're getting the answer to a question you didn't know the answer to before. It was concealed in the Old Testament. You heard some verses there, but it didn't make complete sense. But it has been made plain and clear in the New Testament. And there's so many different examples of that. There's the mystery of the incarnate God. That Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Great is the mystery of God's manifest in the flesh. That Jesus Christ became God in the flesh. That mystery of the Old Testament became plain in the person of Jesus Christ. Another mystery is the mystery of Israel's unbelief. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren about this mystery that blindness in part has happened unto Israel, the Jews, until the fulfillment of the Gentiles were to come in. In other words, the Jews, they they understood a part of the story, but the the mystery of it was that God's plan wasn't just for them, but God's plan was for the Jew and the Gentile, which means everybody on earth. Another mystery was the, the mystery of lawlessness, In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes and said, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And this profound mystery that he was referring to um, is that Paul's point is going to culminate in the last days. That the Antichrist will come. There will be a second coming of Christ. But here in Colossians, Paul is talking about another mystery. The mystery here he's referring to is the church. The idea that God is going to build a new community of chosen people, and he's saying it's not just going to be us. It's not just going to be the Jews, but it's going to be the Gentiles. It's not just going to be just those who follow the Jewish laws. It's going to be anybody who follows Jesus Christ. Man, every man and woman, Jew, Greek, free, or slave. What was hidden in the Old Testament from so much of the world Is going to be revealed through Jesus Christ, this New Testament truth that we have through the church. That we're going to have this opportunity to share this truth with all people. If you're taking notes, write this down. Serving includes speaking. Now when I share that, a lot of people are like, wait a second, I'm not signing up for that. And we're not going to have a sign-up sheet for who's going to preach next Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not going to make you like stand in front of a group of people, but I want you to hear what it says here in verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, who is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And let's continue to verse 28. Paul uh, does not say him referring to Christ. He says, him I preach he says, him we preach, this collective plural, that Jesus Christ, we all preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know that this large part of Paul's ministry was spent in proclamation and preaching. He would, You see these three words in our text today, preach, warn, and Teach. He preached the gospel, the ultimate truth of salvation. He understood that this was a call that we all were given. That we were called to warn everybody, teach everyone, present every man perfect, that they may know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, before the printing press was available or social media, there would be a town crier. The town crier would just yell out the news that was happening. And that's the word that he's using here as preacher that we're called to proclaim to the public. We're called to proclaim to all people the truth. He says, so warn every man that everybody knows this truth of Jesus. And then he also says that we should teach them of Jesus Christ. We speak the ultimate truth of the gospel, but not only should we warn them of the negative truths of all the bad things that are out there, but at some point we need to be teaching people the positive truths that will help them grow in their grace and founding of Jesus Christ. I found that, that many pulpits are just focused on getting people saved and making people feel good. But as a church, we also recognize that we need to teach. We need to understand what the Bible means and what the gospel means for us. And not just to follow Jesus, but how we can follow Jesus in our lives. It's not just to have a Sunday morning pep rally we want to gain and knowledge that's why i love you know cam taking notes and getting involved with the teaching the nourishment comes in the teaching where people aren't just told but they're shown and given examples on how we can love differently in our lives it says in the text teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ and that's a tall order isn't it it's a tall hard order to go into the world, but here's what it's telling us. It doesn't tell us in the Great Commission to go into all people and get as many people saved as you can. When Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 was leaving this earth to leave the work to the disciples, to start the church, he said, go into all nations and create disciples, people who are going to follow Jesus. Our goal as a church and your goal as an individual is not just to get people saved. That's the starting point, It's to run the race and run it with Jesus Christ. We don't just care about the show. We want them to know Jesus Christ. The last thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Serving requires strength. Serving requires strength. Verse 29. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. You see, let me give you a different translation of that. Another translation says, I labor to the point of weariness, to the point of exhaustion. This, this text here is telling us to engage in a strenuous uh, contest. That just like the, the difficult contest we saw here on stage, no, but like a, a long game. It's that fourth quarter when you need that extra push, that extra strength. That we can labor, striving according to his working, which works in us. That when it does seem hard and you say, I can't do this, Jesus says, I know, it's okay, I'm here with you. That he continues to be with us along the way. Paul the apostle worked hard. We heard that in the other text. Paul didn't go into a town and say, you know, where's the best hotel? He went and found the people that were the lost, the hurting, and the sick. My second Spurgeon quote for you today is this. The the great preacher said, if you plan to be lazy, there are plenty of places where you will not be wanted. But above all, you will not be wanted in the Christian ministry. The man who finds the ministry an easy life will also find it brings a hard death. Uh, (laughs) Angie got mad at me because a couple weeks ago, um, uh, I, I was with Anthony. And at the end of the service, we had parked our cars in the front parking lot before service started. And I was like, hey man, we got to move our cars. Like we don't park in the front parking lot. And Angie's like, hey, that was kind of mean. Like church was just getting started and you made him move his car. And I was like, hey, like we're the leaders of the church. And if we're going to be leading in the way that Paul has told us to lead, we're not going to be parking in the front. So we moved our cars because that's who we are. And that's who we want to be. That's the example that we want to set Is that we labor and we strive, we work hard because we want not to be served. And we've seen that too many times with people who stand behind the pulpit. Is they put themselves in a position to be served by the church. And this text and the example of the life of Jesus always reminds us that as a church we are here to serve, not to be served. First Corinthians 15, he said, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. You see, the reason why I think pastors get burnt out is because they try and do things on their own strength. But the goodness that gets us through each and every day is that we know that we're not doing this alone. A prayer I say almost daily is a plaque my grandma gave me when I was very young that said, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I cannot do together. That's the strength that he promises you. You see, it took me a while to to learn this. And and what happened was, a funny thing is, and I've shared this, but if you ever look at my my arms, I have two tattoos. One is a lot newer than the other. The first one is from Isaiah 6-8, and it's the part that says, send me in Hebrew. And I was like, when I, when I quit working corporately, and we said, you know what? We're going to engage working in ministry. You know, we're going to sell the house. We're going to sell the car. We're going to engage in ministry. I got the tattoo that said, send me. And it sounded great, right? And I was like, guys, I got this tattoo. It says, send me. I'm ready to go. And you know what? That, that lasted me for about nine years of being a youth leader. But when I said yes to finally being a lead pastor and going into church planting, I had to get the rest of the verse. And so the much fresher one says, here am I. And that's the balance that I can forget all too often in my life, is to start my day first by saying, God, here am I. And then through his strength, he allows me to be empowered to go do the work of God. And I'll be honest, one of my weaknesses is that I can be so focused on doing the work of God that I forget to sit with God and be with God. I can wake up in the morning and think about my to-do list before I think about my devotions. And, And sometimes, even with my work, even though I technically could justify using work hours to do my devotions, it's not the same. I've got to set my alarm clock earlier, and I've got to get myself focused on spending time with God, and that's my challenge to you. If you want to go and be faithful to the work that God's called you to do, is to have that balance. Start your day by saying, Lord, here am I. God, I'm sitting with you. I am present. I'm available. I will be faithful to whatever you bring before me. But God, I need you first. And then once you have that relationship with God, he can call you to do the work of God. Our final uh, song is going to ask a question that you can answer. The question is, do you belong to Jesus? The song is going to declare the words, I belong to Jesus. And I I think some people have been hearing these messages on always only Jesus. And there's been a question in your mind of do you belong to Jesus? Have you given your life to follow Jesus? So that's the question that we're going to ask. We're going to ask you to answer it through the song. And we'll give you a chance to respond as the worship team comes up and we begin to get into this song. um, If you feel like you've never made a moment to say those words, I belong to Jesus, you want to declare that? I'm going to invite you in the song to come up and just simply come to the altar and just declare to God and say, God, I want to belong to you and I want to follow you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your calling in our lives. God, we know that at some point it's going to be hard because the truth we proclaim is absolute. There is no flexibility in it. There is only one way to heaven. There's only one savior who died on the cross and his name was Jesus. That God, there aren't multiple ways, not, it's a multiple choice question. There's one question with one answer. Do you belong to Jesus? So God, I pray that given this message today, Lord, that we would respond to you by declaring each and every day, Lord, that here we are. That God, that we want to be a faithful steward to the ministry that you've called us to. No one is called to the same place. That God, each of our lives are unique. You've crafted this unique, various experience to receive the gifts that you desire for us to have. It's a place and a position that only you can fill in our lives. But I, God, I pray for those who maybe have not made that declaration that I belong to Jesus. And God, I pray that there's some here right now who hear this truth, and they want to come forward and say, I belong to Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I don't have all the trivia. Uh, I'm not going to be the best uh, on day one. But God, I'm desiring today to be faithful. I know that you are faithful and true that while we were yet sinners, that Jesus Christ, you died for us. And because of that, we can declare that we can stand before God the Father because you are sitting next to him. You are seated because it is completed. The mystery of the old has been made complete in Jesus Christ. And so God, we are so thankful for that. So, God, as we continue in this time of worship, Lord, um, I just pray that you move. And in someone's heart right now, you, you give them that nudge and say, come forward. Declare that you belong to Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.